Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And as you're seated, turn to your Bible to Genesis chapter 19. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis 19 this morning, and uh, we'll be reading just a moment, starting in verse 23. This is um, last week I introduced my, jokingly, I introduced my holiday Christmas series as Christmas and Sodom and Gomorrah. And so I'm going to keep on pressing into that today. Next week, we have, a, I have an Advent service for us. Um, but believing that God gives us this word, we, I just keep pressing, what's the next passage? What's the next passage? That's what God has for us today. And so we press on to that next passage. And this is what God has for us. But this is a Sunday of joy. I mean, and we look at the Advent banners behind us when we remember. This is the Advent, the week we think about joy. And one of the things, even as we deal with a difficult past like this, and it's a bit of an ugly past, an ugly historical account, we see when we talk about joy, why that joy is so important. And why we see when darkness presses in, you know, where is light and where is joy found? You know, even between services hearing about three pretty serious effects of darkness, which is closes in. And, you know, maybe darkness presses in on you. And as we look towards this passage, this is a hard passage to deal with, but we just pray that the joy of the Lord would be that light which presses through that darkness, darkness of the world we live in, but also in internal darkness. As we look towards the reason for hope, the reason for joy, the reason for joy in believing. I did see somebody leave with little ones. If you do have little ones who have junior worship, you're dismissed. Please uh, take part in that. So um, Genesis chapter 19, if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to follow along in a Bible. We do have Bibles on this back wall, and uh, please follow along. Again, I'll be reading from verse 23 through 29. Later on, we'll go verse by verse through that earlier part of it. Genesis chapter 19, 23. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and set Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you today, we come to your text to be taught by your text. God, we come to your text to be shown how joy comes in what you have done in this world. And so we pray, Father, as we understand the difficult nature of this passage, as we, under, as we relate it to the difficulty of living in this life, God, that the joy of Jesus Christ would shine through. Father, whether that be um, just by you send your spirit upon each of our hearts as we receive this, or my heart 
as I speak it. God, we just pray be glorified, shine through brilliantly, shine through brightly to give us a word that we need today. God, we ask you for these things, confident that you will do them, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of my favorite podcasts that I got attuned with recently was one that's called Cautionary Tales. Cautionary Tales, and I like the podcast in part because if I can learn through the mistakes of others, why would I go through those mistakes myself, right? That's what we want to learn. We learn from what others did so we can direct our energy elsewhere so we can make our own mistakes in our own ways, right? Well, today we're going to look at, as a cautionary tale, the danger of compromising with the world, and we're going to see the importance of committed devotion to Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at that through uh, the person of Lot in the story, uh, that in, in the historical account that we're looking at today. Now, over the last couple months, we've looked at the life of Lot together with his uncle Abraham, but we've seen decisions that Lot made along the way, which puts him in the situation which we already read about a few minutes ago. Um, we've followed him as he's moved, followed Abraham out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, uh, how he travels with him to the promised land, and how they separate, and he ended up inside of the city of, so- of Sodom. And, and that brings us to our past today. It's a pretty big account where we're going to look at how, at the things that were lost in it. Losing all of his possessions, losing his family, losing his home, really losing everything. And there's actually so much in it, I'm breaking up over two sermons. We're not, we'll do one part today and then the next in mid-January, so it's a little bit in the future because we have a few things we're going to do between now and then, other, other things. Um, but it's a, you know, it's, it's a full chapter and, and, and full of loss, full of darkness. And maybe, you know, you might have known people who have had similar losses. They've lost possessions. They've lost family members. Uh, they've separated themselves from others. They've hurt others. And largely through decisions that they've made. And maybe that's you. You know, we know the risk of loss that comes just living in a sinful and fallen world. We know the risk of loss that comes from uh, decisions around us and decisions that we make. We know that we also live in a world that will one day face judgment like Sodom and Gomorrah faced. And it's a reminder to us that if we love the world more than we love Christ, is that we lose the things we built in the end. And that's important for us to remember. What we see in the text today is an historical account Something that happened in history in a real time, in a real place for us to understand and to relate and interact with our own lives with. And what, we see, what we're going to see here in a minute is how Lot compromised with the world. It's important for us to think about because some of us are compromising with the world as well. And the times that this shows up is often when bad health hits or the um, sudden threat of death or some sort of loss. And that's the time we can realize that we've really been building our lives on lies and faithlessness. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 gives a great illustration of this. Great illustration which really happens in the life of Lot here. It's one of the most important images that I've seen in the Bible because... It shows not only what happens with Lot, but all those who build on a faulty foundation. 
1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 10, 10 through 15, this is what we read. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. When the final judgment comes after death, some will realize what a burning, what a, what a burning house they built around themselves. The sinful world that we live in will not lead to eternal life. It only leads to loss and death. Only Jesus Christ live, leads to life. Apart from Christ, there is no foundation. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 3. There is no foundation other than Jesus Christ. He's the one that we need to choose the foundation to build everything off of. On top of that. And that's an important foundation. It's also important how we build. And what we're going to see is how we build our lives. We're going to really be considering that today. But one thing I want to point out as we look at the passage today is um, that this passage doesn't just focus on Lot and, I'm sorry, on Sodom and all of its sin. It's easy to point a finger outside of us and look at the sinfulness of the world out there. And there's no doubt that the world is sinful. In fact, some people have said if you wanted to do a scientific examination of the doctrines of the Bible, that the doctrine of sin would be one that would be very easy to prove. I mean, just open your internet browser, you know, listen to the news, you know, you'll see the doctrine of sin carried out in real life constantly, repeatedly. You know, Sodom is not the main focus of this story. I mean, we know in every story, the main focus really is ultimately on God, right? He's the main character in everyone. He's the hero. He's behind every action. And this story revolves, this story revolves around his justice of evil and the way ultimately that he rescues Lot in the end. But the next main character in this account is Lot. Lot is mentioned time and again. He gives us that cautionary tale for God's people. Will we live like him? Will we make some more choices? Or will we learn his lessons and learn not to love the world? I mean, it's easy to point our fingers out how bad they are out there without realizing that something needs to happen inside of each and every one of us. Without realizing the danger that compromise brings to our own lives. And Sodom does stand out as wicked. There is no doubt. But God has given us this so that we can trust him as Savior. So we can look to him in obedience. Right? We can see, look to him in times of darkness. So I want to look at a few things now through the life of Lot and understanding life in this dark world. And the first thing we see is the power of hospitality and the message of grace. The power of hospitality and the message of grace. I want to read verses 1 through 3 here. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. 
They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But Lot pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So we've been tracking these angels since Genesis chapter 18. We saw three men go and visit Abraham. Two angels, and one was the Lord. And the two angels had left Abraham, and now we followed them all the way into the city of Sodom. They were on that way from the beginning because they were on their way to here because they'd heard of the outcry against the city of Sodom. The injustice, the oppression, the sin, the violence that was there. And they were going, if you will, to do their own investigation. And now they've arrived. Uh, it really shows up. I mean, could it be worse than they had heard? Now Lot, while, when they arrive, he invites them into his house. He meets these, uh, these messengers from the Lord. But inviting them into the house, we see something that happened, is that him inviting them in was his own salvation. These two angels would warn him about the judgment to come. They would get him out of the city. With, without this visit, he would have been destroyed together with the rest of the city. It's a reminder to us of the value of hospitality. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Because he showed hospitality, he heard the word of God. We need this ourselves. We need to let people into our lives who speak to us the word of God. Now Lot hears of the judgment to come. And we all need to hear that there is a judgment that comes at the end of our life. And to warn us of that. And to warn us and to remind us there is a way of salvation that God has provided. We all need that. Right? For many of us. You know, it was that fear of God's judgment, that fear of hell that started us into the Christian life. I don't think it ends there. But it at least started us on the way and to think about the immortality of our soul. It's something we need to think about. And he needed that message because day after day, he would hear the message of Sodom all around him. And don't we hear the message of the world all around us, right? Tells us what's important, what's not important, what we should be doing, what we should not be doing, what we should be believing, what we should not be believing. You know, the world is always speaking to us around that. And even our own flesh is constantly talking to us. I mean, we're talking to ourselves all the time. Law was surrounded by the values of, of, of Sodom. And that changed him. But here he gets another message. He needed to be saved from the destruction that was to come. Do you open yourself up to hearing from God by spending time with other messengers who speak the word of God into your life? You know, that's the starting point for us for many, for, for beginning in faith, if you're not a Christian, to hear from others. You know, why do you believe? What is it you believe? Why do you think I should believe? But also in growing in our faith and continuing in our faith and finding the joy that brings us through dark times, it is to hear the words of God's people to speak truth into our lives. We need messengers who bring the gospel to bear upon us. I mean, those relationships are so important. Our care groups are so important. The friendships we build are so important. It affects the decision-making process that we all have. We need to make time to hear the Lord. Invite people in. Invite people into your life to speak God's word to you. We see that with Lot here at the beginning. It was a salvation. Well, the second thing we want to look at today is choosing the courage of convictions over moral compromise. Now, if you look back at verse 1, you see where Lot was. He was sitting in the gate 
of the city. Now, the city gate was a place for people of prominence, political and some political and social authority. And Lot had some sort of leadership inside of the city. You know, he had been blessed by God in this. I believe that his awareness of God, his awareness of the law of God, um, his awareness of, of, um, of the way of, of God as creator, that helped him in his labors inside the city of Sodom. And apparently other people saw that. There's no doubt that as we become acquainted with God and his word, the law of God, the wisdom of God, the gospel of God, that that will affect the way we work and will affect the way that others even perceive us. It's not the end of it, but it certainly is a a fact which should happen. Now, the question for us as we look at Lot is, did he use that place of influence uh, to make Sodom a better place? Now, Sodom, we know, has a reputation as a dangerous place. The angels went there because they heard the outcry against the city that was there. And as these angels show up and they're looking for a place to stay, they say, well, we'll just stay in the town square. And Lot says, no, that's a bad idea. He knows what can happen to people while they're there. And so he gets them into their home. And it continues to grow because in verses 4 and 5, we see what happens the first night there. The, the iniquity of the city reveals itself. Verse 4, but before these men laid down, the angels, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surround their house. Verse 5, and they called the lots, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. So a mob forms. They ask Lot to hand them over so that they can be sexually abused. I mean, that's the kind of community that Lot had chosen to be part of. On the one hand, it's hard to imagine that he would become comfortable there, to live there. But on the other hand, don't we become more comfortable with the sin and evil around us? This gives us a very vivid picture of the end of sexual sin. That, that at one time things are approved, at another point things is celebrated, and at another point it grows into violence and even sport. We see the evil, which had grown, had taken place there. This isn't something that just happened overnight. This is something that had been growing there over time. It's a horrible picture. And despite Lot's position of influence sitting in the city gates, he can do nothing to solve the situation. Look at verses 6 and 7. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Jumping on to verse 8, Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now, to his credit, Lot does what he can to stop this horrible evil from happening. Now, we're going to talk about the awful bargain that he makes here in my next point. But here, I just want to stop at the point where he does what he can to stop it from happening. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 says something about Lot. It calls him a righteous man. And that Lot was not so comfortable with everything that was happening in this. But uh, this passage says that it, it tormented him. Verse 7, uh, 2 Peter 2, 7 and 8. And if God rescued righteous Lot from Sodom, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. There are many reasons through the passage we might have a hard time calling Lot to be righteous, but 
It says why. He was tormented by the sexual degradation around him. And that's a pretty heavy word. He's not okay with the things that were going on. And in one sense, he stood apart from his peers. Compared to society, Lot was righteous. He wanted something better. He wanted um, something better for his life, his family, his city. And he even appealed them to stop here. Now, does it work? Verse 9 says it didn't work. Verse 9. But they said, stand back. The mob says, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn. And he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man lot and drew near to break the door down. See, so now it's not just the angels who are being attacked, but Lot himself is under great risk. And so whatever position of influence that he had at the city gate before, there's absolutely no influence with the people now. In fact, they call him a sojourner, right? They just plainly state that he doesn't belong. That worse things are going to happen to him than the visitors once they're done. I mean, his life is in danger. Makes us ask, how could Lot, who has influence one moment... Sitting in the city gates at the next moment, have his life threatened. And that is the way of the world. I mean, you cannot bargain with sin. I mean, we like to think that we can bargain with sin, we can bargain with evil thoughts, and we can come out with the winning end. But it doesn't work that way. We remember that sin does not compromise. That's because when we compromise with sin, we've already sinned. We've lost, right? One definition of sin is missing the mark. And when we sin, even just a small compromise, we think, have we moved off that mark? Another talks about sin as being rebellion. Even small acts of defiance against God can be rebellion. And when the world sees that you don't agree with it, and you're against it, it will throw you in front of the truck. And it will run back over you on the way back. And it's amazing how this happens for Lot. I mean, he tries to reason with this unreasonable group, doesn't he? But his great mistake was thinking that he could come to some sort of peaceful agreement with the world. He thought that in compromising in some areas, that he'd be able to persuade others in the bigger areas. It didn't matter, though, in the end, how winsome he was, did he? It doesn't matter how likable he was. It doesn't matter how nice he was. When the people wanted to enter into this degradation and sin, they gave him no quarter. And there's a valuable lesson for us in this. The Bible describes the sinful degradation of the world, and our compromise will not help us in dealing with it. I mean, some will try to redeem the world in compromising with it. You know, if I know the movies, I'll be able to speak to these people. If I get involved in their activities, we'll be able to relate. I need to know these things to be of help. And and we can justify sinful behavior by our stated desire to reach out to others. And the outcome of this pattern is not so different than we see Lot here. The world only compromises with you in order to pull you deeper in. Might uh, Might not be fast, but it doesn't matter. The tractor beam, the pull, is powerful. Now, what do we do? I think the pattern of Abraham is so important here. You see it in verses 27 and 28. We read it just a few minutes ago. Is that he stands outside. He stands outside as a different nation, a different city, a different kingdom, 
And that by being separated in this way, by not compromising in this way, he builds his own community that honors the Lord and he gives the best possibility of salvation for people like Sodom, but like the people in Sodom. You know, as people feel the, the, the weight of sin, where do they go? As people notice the consequences of their behavior, where do they go? As they look for something different and distinct from the world, where do they go? Abraham stands as a new kingdom and says, come out of the world, come to God, come to God in Christ and know life. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is an important passage. I'm going to turn there if you want to turn there as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, because it speaks about a kind of separation which is important for us to remember and a kind of separation which is so helpful for us. If we're going to love the people around us. 1 Corinthians 16, starting in verse 14. It says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for partnership is righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship is light with darkness. 2 Corinthians 6, 15. What accord is Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make a dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. A temple where God is present. A temple where people find hope. A people where people find joy and love and life. That's what the church of Christ is to be. Verse 17, therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. I will welcome you and I will be father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And indeed, as we see the world in the way that it is in its coming judgment, we say, come out, come out, come to where life is. Come to Christ and believe. If you want to love the people around you, those in sin, those condemn the judgment. The best thing you can do is build God's kingdom as an alternative community and invite them to it. We go out, we invite, we go out, we know people, we welcome them back. Build Christ's church, invite them to be a, a part of it. It's like Noah building the ark to rescue those from the flood. People finding a way of redemption through Jesus Christ. People can be redeemed through Jesus Christ. They can and they are as they turn to him. So we've seen the power of hospitality and the message of grace. We've seen the need to choose convictions over moral compromise. The third thing I want to look at is starting with moral compromise to avoid moral slippery slopes. Avoiding the moral slippery slope. Now I already mentioned briefly verse 8 where Lot offers his daughters to the mob in the place of these out-of-town strangers. And the plain sense of the passage is that Lot offers some sort of terrible bargain. We can't even begin to think about the state of mind which would cause a person to do this. John Calvin writes about this, that Lot should rather have endured a thousand deaths than to have resorted to such a measure. And that's true. Maybe there's, you know, maybe there's some cultural reasons that we don't understand, right, that are a part of this. Maybe he knew there were angels and they could defend themselves. One commentator says that he was exploring a legal loophole because they were engaged to other men and he really couldn't offer them. And by doing this, he would buy them himself some sort of time to get out of this sticky situation. But in one sense, it really doesn't matter because whatever is in Lot's mind, there's one thing that we know about this horrible offer. 
is that the consequence of Lot's past decisions put him in this position. His experience of the slippery slope of his past decisions was just out of control now. It was out of control. It was the decision to begin living in Sodom, the decision to compromise with this moral life of the city. And for some reason, he thought that this was the best way out of the problem, right? And if he had been allowed to follow through with this, the situation would have been worse. That's why the Bible says, do not lean on your own understanding, right? He tried to overcome one moral evil with another moral evil. And this way, we have to realize that some decisions inevitably lead to other decisions and they lead to other decisions. And we can't even, when we get to the end of it, even recognize where we are. We start off with sin. We like to think we can control every part of it. We like to think that we can stop any time. We like to think that we can manage our own consequences until something like this happens. Until you have to make another bargain that you never expected you'd have to make. You will not be able to control your sin. You can't manage it. You can't manage sin. It, it takes us places that we never thought it would take us. And there is a way out. It is through repentance and faith. You know, we see here God stopping this in his mercy. It never happened. Right? God stopped it. But we also know the power and the wonder of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and turning away from these things and the, the way he strengthens us in them. For some of us, it might be harboring those dark thoughts. God, I, I turn away, I repent and help me, help me with this. I don't like where this is going with these thoughts in my heart and my mind. Help me, Lord. Or maybe it's that anger that anger that we feel. And, and maybe you've known the, the consequence of harboring a little anger, angry thought and it grows and grows and grows until it becomes a, some sort of negative explosion. Or maybe we let little words into our vocabulary until they continue to grow into greater cursing or, or that little bit of lust. I'm just going to look at this little thing and before we know it, it's got greater control of our lives than we thought imaginable. Or maybe it's just pride. We let this prideful thought go in and before long our hearts have become hardened towards others, and we become very proud. Is there a slippery slope that you're on that you need to get off of? I mean, it takes total honesty. It means honesty with yourself, honesty with others. There is a difficult repentance, but would you rather have the, the consequence of that moral slide? You know, get off of it. Get off the slope. Go to Christ. He'll receive you. He'll welcome you. He'll restore you in that. Right? Isn't this what we pray in the Lord's Prayer? We say, deliver me, deliver us from evil. Would you deliver us from the evil one? That's because Jesus Christ has broken this cycle. He's broken the cycle of sin. He's broken its power over us. We don't have to continue on that path. That leads us into our next point. We've seen the power of hospitality. We've seen the need of the courage of convictions. We've seen getting off the slippery slope. Verse four, we want to look into the way of escape that God has provided. And when we see it, we need to take it. We see this in verses 10 through 13. Now we've seen that Lot couldn't get himself out of the situation by his winsome personality. He couldn't bargain his way out of it. He needed to be rescued. And we see in verse 10 how this happens. Verse 10, but the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great. So they wore themselves out, groping for the door. 
God provides, these angels provide a temporary solution for Lot, a temporary way of salvation. He pulls them out of the mob. Does it solve the issue? No. I mean, they're like mindless zombies. They're blind and they're still trying to go through with their evil intents. So they're just scraping at the door, trying to get in. It's really a confirmation of what the angels went in for, isn't it? You know, they heard the outcry of the city was great. They go in to investigate and then it's right there in the flesh, right before them. They'd rejected the prophetic utterances of Lot. Um, they turned against these angels who were visiting, and the angels say, the city is going to be destroyed. It's time to leave. And they, Lot and his family have a way of salvation. Look at verse 12. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against his people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Sodom was going to be destroyed, but Lot was given a way of escape. And one day our world too will be judged, but God has provided a way of escape. Right, as we look around, we see violence, we see sin, we see rebellion, we see disdain for that which is good and that is holy, and the Bible is clear that every person will be judged for every careless word they've said, and, and we, are, we are like Lot. You know, here we are in a sinful world that we have our own sin, right? We sin together with the world. There's a judgment to come, but God has provided a way of escape. We see that. In John 3.36, a way of salvation that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Whoever believes in the Son has life. Just like the angels, Jesus tells us of an escape from God's judgment. But the escape is himself. And that escape is through faith. See, it's not just Lot that God wants to save here. It's not just Lot that the angels reach out to, but he, he talks about his family. He talks about all those who are with him. Gather as many as he can in making this escape. And that's our role too, is as we trust in Jesus, as we know the salvation that he has brought, the way of salvation, as we invite others, come be part of this, come be saved. John three thirty six. 36, it says, we have eternal life through faith, through belief. Right, he is the gate. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no salvation that's apart from him. And as we come to Christmas on this third Sunday of Advent, we remember what God did in sending his son. And the reason for joy that we have is that in Jesus Christ, God provided a way to be free from the guilt and the power of sin, the shame of sin, and his power. These two angels, they went to Lot, right? They went to his family, and they told him to flee. On that first Christmas, we remember that Jesus Christ came in the world to rescue us, right? These angels came into Lot's town. They came into Sodom. They came into his house. And what did Jesus Christ do? But he left heaven, and he came into our world. He came among us to rescue us from our own sin and the judgment of the world. There are some differences. These angels that we read about in Genesis chapter 19, they, they came close to being harmed. 
Right? Their physical bodies at this point seemed to be at risk. But in the end, they were safe. They escaped. But Jesus Christ was harmed. He was put to death on a cross to take away our sins. Another thing we see about Jesus is that Jesus didn't just keep evil away from us by pulling us out of the way. No, he actually bore sin upon his own body as he died on the cross. I mean, that's the love of Jesus for his people. That's his love for you. As you come here today and you might say, what reason for joy do I have? It's to say that in this world, which is going to be judged, is that Jesus Christ loved you and he came for you and he died for you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's your promise. And if you haven't yet trusted in Jesus Christ, then look to him. You wonder, how do I get out of this darkness? How do I get out of, out of this world? How do I get, deal with this guilt? What am I going to do with it? That first Christmas... God gave us a reason for joy, and it's in Jesus Christ. We need to be rescued. We need to be rescued, and God sent Jesus Christ in to be the rescuer. Isn't that good news? Isn't that news to be joyful about? Something that's a joy that can never be taken away because it's grounded in what he has done and coming into our world, living a perfect life, bearing our sin, raising from the dead. Let's praise him. Let's worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a sinful world and we are a sinful people. We have played too much with this world, Father. We've ignored its evil. We've become too comfortable. We've let these things into our heart and minds which are false and not true. God, just forgive us. Forgive us. God, you provided a way of escape from your wrath a way of escape from your judgment. And we celebrate that on this third Sunday of Advent. What joy do we have? What light is there that you sent your son to rescue your people? God, we know we have work to do. We have a calling. Father, you called us to love the people around us, to reach out to others while there is time. Father, we don't have time to love this world. Remind us of that. Help us to submit our lives to Jesus Christ the King. And help us make Christ known to the people around us. We ask you, God, for your help in these things. Praying in Jesus' name. Amen. We're closing hymn.